Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. I introduced you to this phrase last week. It's called, uh, hurt people, hurt people. And we all know that's true. Because when we are hurting, what do we want to do? Let's just be honest. We want to hurt somebody. That's just, that's just the, it, the, 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 I think the, 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 um, the psycho, not psychological, I don't think that's the right term, but it's this idea of introjection, projection. If you're familiar with counseling terms, what, what comes in, I want to exude out. So when we are hurt, we want to hurt others. And so what we are seeking to do this fall is to stop that cycle, to, to stop putting band-aids on the hurts of lives and actually find the real healing to these things. I was, so today... What we're going to talk about is this real-life hurt of loneliness. Loneliness. I was, uh, found a couple articles. One is from NewScientist.com, and it says that loneliness is a modern epidemic in need of treatment. Loneliness. The article goes on to talk about how loneliness actually is two times more uh, detrimental to your health than obesity. I had no idea. Two times more detrimental to your health than obesity. And it's almost as detrimental to your health as smoking. Loneliness. Would, we, would any of us have thought that? I wouldn't have. I didn't think loneliness was that big of a deal physically. I know emotionally it is, but physically? In the Huffington Post back in March of 2015, the Huffington Post said that loneliness is a growing public health concern. In that article, it goes on to talk about that our generation, our time has been called, quote, the age of loneliness. It talks about how one in five Americans suffer from real deep loneliness. Not just a little, you know, you know, little loneliness here or there, but actual deep loneliness, persistent loneliness. And here's the irony the article talks about, it, and it makes perfect sense to me. We are the most connected society, connected generation ever, right? I mean, I remember, you know, back when I was like, you know, in college when Facebook was coming out, man, I was so like proud that I had, you know, 500 friends on Facebook, you know, and then a thousand. I remember, you know, I had these little parties that I throw for myself. But, but let's be honest, just because we have, and the article actually talks about how social media may actually exasperate the, the problem, because we're just sort of playing this cyber voyeurism. We're not actually engaging in people's lives. Hey, I, I can see that happening. I see that happening in my own life. Not to suggest I'm a voyeur, I'm just saying. I think the f- more po- better way to say that is, uh, what's it called, Facebook stalking? Is that the term, fa- Facebook stalking? 
So loneliness comes in all different shapes and sizes. And last week, if you, if you were with us, I shared some of our story of, of some real hurt that we went through through these three years of miscarriages back in 2008, 9, and 10. And, and, and there's a part of that story that I don't share very often because of just how much it, actually, it really hurts, and, and it still hurts. But I'm going to share a little bit of it this morning because I believe that in a crowd this size, if the statistics are true, one in five people are struggling with persistent loneliness. So if we could just draw a line, right, one in five, so maybe like from here over. This is a big group of people. One in five people who are listening to the podcast. This, this last month, we had over 600 people listen to the podcast. So that's like 120-some people in the podcast listening are struggling with persistent loneliness. And so I just want to share a little bit of part of our, my story that I don't share very often. After we had our first miscarriage, we went through 18 months of, of just absolute terror in our home. It was, it was complete despair. A- April's body actually shut down, and the doctor suggested, you know, why don't you, Walt, go get tested for your own fertility? Because after so many months, there's got to be some other problems going on. And I'm like, that didn't make any sense to me because I, you know, we, we got pregnant immediately. So why in the world am I having to do that? Well, I'll never forget the doctor's appointment afterwards where he showed us with this little chart and he showed me where I fell on the chart and it was in the category, the range, titled, labeled, infertile. And I don't know. If you're a guy, you maybe understand. Of course, women understand this on a different level because we're obviously different. But I don't think that there's anything more humiliating and damaging to a man than to say, you are infertile. I mean, the greatest command in all of Scripture is God telling Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful and multiply. So it's our desire to have kids and to multiply. And for this doctor to look on a chart and put a plot my situation on this little chart, and now I've got this label of infertile. And I remember the day where I completely and totally broke down in our staff meeting at the church that I worked at. And it was, looking back, it was kind of humorous, but it was terrible at the time. I had this secretary. She was a sweet lady. Her husband had already died. She was an older lady. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to console me. She just reached out her pocketbook and got like some some tissues that I swear were already used, and she just tried to help me out some. You know, she just did what she could do. But, but it's during that time, and some of the, the voices in my head started getting louder and louder of, you are insufficient. No one else could possibly know what you're going through. And so these thoughts of isolation, these thoughts of loneliness. No one could ever know exactly what this feels like. This is you and only you. And so the thoughts and the the actions of isolation and reclusion began. I was a happy, normal, you know, go-lucky guy on the outside, but on the inside, I was growing more and more lonely, isolated, hurting. Look, I don't know about you. I don't know much about life. But I know enough to know that if you've lived much life, you have faced loneliness in a very real way. We all have. I mean, it's it's silly to pretend like we've never been through it. 
So let's just own it. Let's just say, yeah, I've been through it, or maybe I'm even there, or you know what? I'm probably about to go into it so that we can find actual healing through this. Because we're all tricked by those same thoughts. You know, nobody cares about me. Nobody could ever relate. Nobody could ever, you know, know the pain of what I'm going through. And so we just get more and more isolated, disconnected, and lonely. And again, the great irony is that we are a part of the most connected society ever. I could pick up my phone right here in my pocket, and I could dial Diego Warshak Mas, who is sitting on the top of a mountain 7,000 feet in Paquim, Guatemala, and he'll pick up his cell phone and say, hola, and I say, hey, and he's not going to know what I'm saying. I'm not going to know what he's saying, but I'm just saying we're, we're the most connected generation ever, but one in five Americans are dealing with persistent loneliness. There's wives in this room who have been married for years and years and years, but you are so disconnected in your marriage that it doesn't even feel like it's a roommate. It's just a warm body. And this isolation and this this loneliness controls you, and it hurts. It may be something less serious, like a best friend moved away, or you moved away from a best friend, and now there's a vacuum, there's a void that hurts that they used to fill. Or maybe it's something more serious. Maybe you're just in your 20s and your 30s, and your parents have already died. And there's that vacuum of hurt and loneliness, and you don't know what to do. You know, loneliness often follows rejection. So, so many who've gone through divorce, you, you, you've experienced that pain that, that precipitates, that, comes, that follows of if they've rejected me, who would want me? And it hurts. Dreams that have crashed, having to file for bankruptcy, financial struggles. I can't talk to anybody about this because what are they going to think about me if I can't even manage my own money? And it just, those thoughts continue to creep in. And we grow isolated, lonely, and it hurts. Derek was just talking about our teenagers Tell you what, I wouldn't, you give me a million bucks, I wouldn't go back through teenage years. <laughs> oh, and, now, and now for those like him who have teenagers, you, it's like even a, more, it's even a greater amen, right? So listen, teenagers, d- did you know that early, 50 years ago, early onset depression, 50 years ago started, the average age of early onset depression was the age of 29, 50 years ago. But in 2012, the average age of early onset depression is 14 and a half years of age. You think that teenagers don't deal with isolation and loneliness and the social ebb and flow of puberty and life? Man, you're kidding yourself. None of us are immune to this. Each one of us hurt. Let's own it. Let's say, let's, let's agree. We do. It's there. And what I want us to do in our few minutes we have remaining is to really see how the reality of the new covenant actually heals this real-life hurt of loneliness. We're going to say this over and over throughout the course of the fall, but God spells healing, C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T. And that sounds weird to us, I know. But the way that he has chosen to heal the hurts of life 
because they're going to continue to come. This world is broken. He spells, he spells healing with this covenant that he has initiated through the death of his son. I want you to take your Bibles, and we're going to go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, quick context. Jesus has just finished his last supper, that we call it, uh, with his disciples. They've had the, the, the meal. He's, break, he's taken the bread and passed it around. He's taken the cup and passed it around. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me, of what I'm about to do on the cross. He says, take the cup. It is the blood of the new covenant, which is going to be poured out for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. And in this context... Remember, this is the night before Jesus is, this is the night of his arrest, and this is the very night before his own crucifixion. And he starts praying for his disciples. Judas has already been dismissed, and so there's 11 of these guys, at least, who are sitting around this table, and he starts praying for them because of the very difficult days ahead that they're going to face. He prays that they be kept safe from the evil one. And I want us to understand, again, this context. Jesus is about to face the greatest loneliness and isolation ever on this thing called a Roman cross, where he alone is going to be hanging there, where he alone has suffered this, this great abuse, this great whipping, this great, you know, uh, these, these floggings, and he alone is going to take on the sin of the world, and he alone is going to receive the full wrath of God's just uh, rage against sin. Jesus is about to become one with sin. You talk about uncharted territories for the king of kings. And in face of that, he prays for his followers. How cool is that? And then, where we're going to pick up starting in verse 20, he transitions, he shifts from praying for those, again, those 11 disciples, and he starts praying for everyone who is in this room. Did you know that? He actually prays for you, Steve. He actually prays for you, Jeff, right here. Will, he prays for you right here. You don't believe me? You don't have to believe me. We're just going to read it. So let's start in verse 20, walking through as we normally do. If you're new with us, we just read a little bit. We talk about it, and we wrap it all up, and we head home. And so Jesus is praying, and he says to the Father, he's praying to God the Father. God the Son is praying to God the Father. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. That's the 11 that are there. He says, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Okay, so he's there with Matthew, with John, with Peter. He's there with his disciples who, who wrote down the stuff, or like Peter, he, he told Mark about it, and Mark wrote it down. And Peter wrote some letters later on, and of course the Lord appeared to Paul and, and, and revealed to Paul the reality of what is, and Paul wrote it down. And so what Jesus is saying... I'm not only praying for these, these apostles, these followers right now, but I'm also praying for those who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. If you've ever read the scriptures and said, you know what, I believe in what Jesus has done, then that's you. Because you are those who believe because of their word, because of the scriptures that we now have, the apostles' teachings that we have devoted ourselves to learning and being transformed by. 
So he's praying for you. And this is what he prays, that they, you, may be one. Now, I used to think that this meant that we might be one, like, you know, get along. Like, can't we all just get along? Like, unity, you know, oneness, that sort of a deal. And I'm not suggesting that the Lord doesn't want us to have unity. But look, that's, that pales in comparison with what Jesus is actually praying. Look at this. He says that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. That they also may be, look at this, in us, that the world may know or believe that you sent me. So, so, so here's what's happening. He is praying that you and I are just as one with the Father and the Son, that the Father, in the same exact way that the Father and the Son are one. How, how one are the Father and the Son? I say they're pretty one, right? And he, hear his prayer. His prayer is that you... And I, who believe in the, what the apostles wrote, that we would be just as one as they are one. So however one Jesus is with the Father, that's now how one you are with them. You see how he says, also in us? This is the only time that I know of that Jesus refers to the Father and the Son like this in the, this, this uh, prep, uh, pronoun, us. It's not just that we're in Jesus. We are in Jesus. It's not just that we're in the Father. We are in the Father. But we are in them. And this is the prayer of Jesus. He's begging his Father that we would be as one with them as they are one with themselves. Let's continue on to verse 22. He says, the glory. He's he's continuing to pray to the Father. The glory which you have given me which I'd say is a pretty big glory. Look at this. I have given to them. Who's them? Those of us who would believe the writings of the apostles. That's me because I believe it. That's you if you believe it. The glory that God gave the Son, the Son is saying, I give to those who would believe in me. And he says this again. I mean, if Jesus says something one time, I think that's probably enough. But look, he repeats himself because he knows how thick our skulls are, and he wants us to see the truth of what we actually have in Christ. He says that, that they may be, uh, uh, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. And now listen to how he says it this way. I in them and you in me. Remember, it was them in us. This time it's them. Sorry, it was in the previous verse. Uh, us in them. This time it's them in us. You see that? The first is we, I'm going to say it again just because I messed up my, my, my verbs there. The previous section, it was us being in them. May they be in us. And this time when Jesus says it, it's that they are now in us. What's so significant about that? Well, here's the deal. No matter how you want to slice it, there's oneness. They are in us, and we who believe are in them. And look how he he has a reason for this. The reason of this unity, this oneness with the Father and the Son, is that they, you and me, may be perfected in unity. 
And see, again, I used to think that this was, you know, us getting along with each other would be a perfect church if we just got along with each other. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get along with each other, but this is so much more than that. He is saying that through our oneness with the Father and with the Son, we are made perfect. And you know, that's the way it has to be. That's the way it has to be. Because the standard of God when it comes to perfection, it is his own perfection. And so the only way for you and me to be joined one with the Father and with the Son is for us to be perfect. And this is the whole point of the gospel, that he's taken our sin-stained, dirty, rotten old man, and he has plunged it into the death of Jesus upon our faith in him so that we could be born again righteous and holy and perfect in every way in the new man. Now, I'm not talking about behavior. You can watch my behavior and and say, oh, there's some behavior going on here that isn't perfect. We're not talking about behavior. We're talking about the real you, that we might be perfect. And our religious minds say, no, 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 no. It can't be that good. It can't be that good. That's too much grace. Listen, if you were with us last week, we saw in Ephesians 1-7 that the Father has lavished upon us the full riches of his what? Grace. And today we're reading the Son crying out to the Father that we might be just as one as they are one. Do you see right here at the end? Perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. The Father sent Jesus. That the world may see you sent me and that the world may see you loved them even as you have loved me. I'm not a very smart man, but I'm smart enough to see this and read what Jesus is saying. He is saying The reality of the gospel, the reality of the Father is that he loves us to the same exact degree that he loves the Son, even as. However much, and I'll let you use your imagination, however much the Father loves the Son to that same degree, even as that amount he loves us. And I want that to sink in for a second. In this new covenant, we are not only in them, and they are not only in us, but the same exact degree that the Father loves the Son, He loves you. And I know what's going on in our heads right now, because I've been there. And I'm still there many times. What's going on in our head is, that can't be true. Right? I mean, that, that can't be true. That can't be real. Because how, how, how could God really love me like that? I mean, I know what I've done. I know my history. I know my past. I know how I've hurt these people and those people. I know what I've said behind that person's back. I, 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 I. There's no way. God could love me like he loves his son. 
And, and this is all I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to think about who you choose to listen to. Are you going to listen to the voice of the enemy who is saying, you, there's no way for God that God could possibly love you the way he loves his son? The same enemy, remember John 10.10, 10, who is here to steal, kill, and destroy you? And Peter says, let's add another one, he's set out to devour you. Is that who we're going to listen to when it comes down to it? Or are we going to listen to the one who created you, then redeemed you, and now has qualified you? He has made you compatible with him through death, burial, and resurrection. Who are we going to listen to? I just throw out there, hey, let's listen to the Lord. Look at verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, they also, they, remember, the ones who are going to believe in this after, you know, because of the, what the apostles are going to write, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, we'll come back to that, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Remember, that's the same glory that he's given us. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Man, listen to the intimacy of the Lord, his desire I mean, he says it. I'm not even making that word up. I desire, the Greek, epithumia, I long. There's a longing within me for those who believe in me to be with me where I am. And the Lord is begging the Father that the result of his pending death, not even 24 hours later, be the reality of union with his bride, the church, you and me. He knows how broken this world is. He knows how isolated and lonely this broken world is. And in the new covenant, he's done a work so that we could actually be where he is. One of my favorite verses is Colossians 1, where it says that in him, because of Jesus, he has rescued us from this domain of darkness. That's this world broken in every way and has transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this new covenant is one where he knows how broken this world is. He knows how isolated things can get. He knows how lonely the devil, the enemy, wants us to be in this world, one in five Americans. And so he's done a work to actually rescue us, to be where he is. What I'm about to say is going to stretch our thinking and so I just want to preface it by saying, look, if the Spirit of the Lord doesn't bear witness with this in you, then throw this away, okay? But I just need to say this. Father, I desire that they, that's you and me, also whom you have given me, whom you, the Father, have given me, I think we read past that way too fast, Lee, fast Lee. What I want us to see, and this might be a stretch in your mind, but just hear me out, is that the son, the bridegroom, views you and me as a precious gift from the father to the son. The father has gifted you He's given you to the Son. Now, think about the greatest gift that the greatest king in this world would give his son. 
I wish I had an example. I should have come with an example of some king of Morocco or something who gave something to a son, but I don't have anything. Just use your imagination. The wealthier the king, I would assume, the more extravagant the what? The gift. We all together on this? Look at who the gift that the God of the universe has given to his son. I told you this would stretch our thinking a little bit. Who of us in this room see ourselves as a prized, precious gift from the Father to the Son? It's hard to see, isn't it? It's hard for me to see. Why? I'm going to submit something to you. It's very difficult for us to see ourselves as a gift from the Father to the Son because we still see ourselves, listen, in our sins. We still see ourselves in the filth and the wickedness and everything pertaining to of being in Adam. But look, the Father, God of the universe, didn't give some sort of filthy, sin-stained, washed-up, disgusting filth to his Son. He gave Jesus a bride that is as spotless, as righteous, as holy, as sanctified, as blameless, as perfect as the Father and the Son themselves are. Because remember, the Son's whole prayer is that we would be in them and they would be in us. The Father didn't give the Son some sort of trash. He gave the the Son us. Having been, now this is very important, having been crucified with Christ, having been buried with Christ, and now having been raised as a brand new creation, Ephesians 4.24, in the exact image of God now in true holiness and true righteousness, as holy and righteous as God is himself. This is who you are because of Jesus. This is who I am because of Jesus. And all of this is by grace. So let's don't ever think that there's something special about anything we've done. It is all a gift to us so that we now new can be a gift from the Father to the Son, a present, a bride that the Son desires. I desire that they be with me. You see, As long as we still see ourselves in our sins, filthy, sinners, whatever you want to call it, we'll never see the reality of what Jesus has done. I prayed in both of our groups this morning before we got started, and I think I might have prayed even when we were praying earlier, that we would grow to see who Jesus is and now who we are in him. Because that will change everything. It will change everything. The Father, listen, has made you compatible with himself and with his Son. There is no way that you, still in your sins, still in Adam, could ever be in them and they in you. The writer of our book that we're going through in our community group says this, that Jesus has cleaned house and has moved in. There's no moving in apart from the cleaning of the house. And that's the whole point of the cross and our participation in the death and burial. You see, Matthew 7, Jesus actually says this. He says that the Father only gives good gifts. 
He, and he uses this illustration, you can read it for yourself in Matthew 7. But the Father only gives good gifts. The Father could not and would not give his son a bride who is still dead in their sins. So the Father inaugurated a new covenant through the death of the Son so that all of us who believe in Jesus would be presented to the Son as a gift from the Father to the Son. And what's your role in that? Zero. So let's don't strut out of here like, hey, look at me. Because that's not the point. You're missing it if that's the point. The point is, look at him and now see you in him. You see that? It is all by grace through faith. You see, if you think that you are still some sort of sin-stained trash, if you think, if you see yourself as some sort of, you know, that re-gifted present that, you know, keeps going around the family because nobody really wants it, you're never going to see who you now are in him. You're never going to see the reality of this finished work. You have been made new. The old, it's gone, baby. Gone, baby, gone. You've been made new. New enough, holy enough to actually be joined to them. I told you that would stretch our minds a little bit. I'm just trying to read the scriptures. Verse 25 will end in 26, where Jesus says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these, these who? These apostles and the ones who believe after these apostles have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known. So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And look at this last phrase. And I in them. Was that like three or four times in these six verses that he's made a huge emphasis of him in us? And conversely, us in him, in them? The love of the Father, the love that the Father has to the Son. Where is that love today? in us. It's in us. It's not something that we're trying to attain. It's in us. It's already there. Where is Jesus in this new covenant? Where is he? He is in us. So, so, so let's really try to connect the dots. Do, do you see how God spells healing C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T. He has cut out the dead old man that you were in Adam. He's crucified it, buried it, and he has created a brand new you out of his own righteousness, his own holiness, to the point where he has made you compatible, compatible with himself and with his son. If you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to drive home with this thought. I, because of Jesus, because of his grace, I have been made compatible with the God of the universe and filter every single thought that comes against that thought through that thought. Jesus, who he is and who I now am in him, has made me compatible. Of all the gifts, of all the things the Father could give the Son, the Father chose to take you 
to end the old Adamic race, the old man, the old sin-stained spirit, and to create a brand new you in his own righteousness, his own glory, his own holiness, and he has chosen to reveal the depth of his mercy, the breadth of his grace, the vastness of his love. He's chosen to reveal that by creating you new and presenting you, giving you to the Son, to whom the Son gladly receives. Remember, we read it. What was it, verse 24 or so? Verse 23, I desire that they be with me. So does this say that there is something innate, special about something you've done? No, no. This is saying that there is something special about what he has done. So let's don't leave confused that Walt's thinking that we, because of something we could achieve, We've attained this. No, 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 no. This is all by grace, which the Father has lavished upon us. So what are you going to do with this? These are the very words of the Lord, the night of his arrest. You who are lonely, you who are dealing with this persistent Loneliness, one in five Americans, because of whatever scenarios. Because look, life will hurt. Life will always come at us, period, end of sentence. You who feel isolated, you who are listening to the voice of the enemy saying, who could love you? Who could want you? Who could desire you? Well, I'll tell you, who loves you, who desires you, and who wants you? His name is is Jesus. Jesus. And because he lives, (laughs) we can face tomorrow. Our band's going to come up and we're going to close out in a singing about this love with which he's loved us. And our journey marker today is just how do we kind of put all this into a simple thought that we can walk through this week with. It's just this. With Christ in me, I am not lonely. With Christ in me, I am never lonely. Now, sure, we'll fight the, the feelings. We'll fight the temptations that, to, 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 to express loneliness, to feel loneliness. But I'm just saying the truth of the covenant that God has inaugurated through the death of his son and his resurrection is greater than the feelings that we face on a daily basis. And it's time for us to believe that. Will the feelings, the external feelings of of loneliness just end after this one message? No. But as we set our minds on the reality of what is, that with Christ in me, I'm not lonely, we'll start to see the feelings change. Trust me, I know that it is really hard to see why in the world God would ever love us? Why would he ever rescue us? Why would he ever redeem us and place us in him? Why would he ever make us compatible with him? We don't deserve it, but we don't. Again, that, my friends, is why it's called grace. Grace, God's grace. 
Drake is my two-year-old son, if you haven't met him. They're not feeling well today, so they're not here. So it's a good day to talk about them. He, uh, you know, so when they hit two years old, would you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, they, their, their vocabulary just starts to go crazy. They start learning words, and they start talking and communicating back to you. And a lot of times it's really cool. Sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, what have we created? Um, so before Drake was ever born, I was, of course, telling him how much I love him. So through his infancy, through his toddler, early toddler years, I was telling him how much I love him, how much I love him. Of course, there was no response because he couldn't talk. And then even when he did start to talk, you know, he had no concept of what that even meant. But then one day, he responded to me for the very first time after me telling him I loved him. And I'll never forget that day to the day I die. I said to him, as I've said, you know, for years by now, Drake, I love you. Drake, I love you. And for the first time, he responded, and this is what he said. You love me? You love me? And I don't know exactly what's going through a two-year-old's mind, but this is what I took away from that. He saw himself and his absolute dependence upon me. He, He knew that he couldn't do a single thing without me providing for him as his father. And he saw me, a big, you know, adult, independent from him, able to live independent from him, but he totally depended upon me. And he looked at me, starting to understand what love really is, and he said, you love me? With this confusion and doubt in his mind. And for weeks and weeks, he would say that over and over, you love me? But now today, because I continuously have said it, and have told him why I love him, and how I love him, and and how I'll always love him. Today, when I tell him I love him, here's his response. You love me. I say, Drake, I love you. And he says, you love me. It's no longer a, you love me? It's an acceptance. It's a belief. It's an embracing of this man, this guy who I call dad, who, who is independent from me, has chosen for whatever reason to love me. Listen, church, here's what I want us to see. For whatever reason, to reveal the depths of his love and grace and mercy to all that would ever see, the God of the universe has chosen to love you. And most of us, if we were honest, we would say, mm, I'm not so sure about that. We haven't even gotten to the phase of, you love me? But maybe today through seeing the the passion of our Lord to desire you, for you through his death and burial and resurrection to actually be one with him, hopefully today you are seeing that he does love you. And so maybe your response this morning is, "You, you love me? And it's starting to actually sink in. But here's where I think the Lord wants you to move, to grow from, you love me, to actually believing it. So that when we are revealed and reminded of how much he loves us, our response is moves from doubt of, you love me, to, you love me. And all I would say is, oh, how he loves me and you by his choice not by anything you've done other than you have been like Drake from me. You have been born from him. Oh, how he loves. Let's stand and pray.
Father, as we conclude our gathering this morning, I just pray, Father, for all the hurt, all the lonely, all the powerless, all those who are fighting the true loneliness in this world, the hurt of loneliness, through, whether it be through divorce or discouragement or financial bankruptcy or whatever, whatever it is, it comes in all shapes and sizes. I just pray, Father, today, I, I pray, it just came to my mind, I pray for that, for that wife who doesn't even have a roommate. She'd, even, she'd love a roommate. But it's just a warm body. She's so lonely. There's such a disconnect between her and her husband. I pray for her, Father, that she, that they, that we would all see that with Christ in me, we are not lonely. We have been made compatible. We have been made one with you. And as we see who you are and us now in you, then it's on. Our behaviors start to change. The byproduct of that is righteous living, godly behavior. That all comes, but that's a byproduct. That's a result of the renewing of our minds to see who you are and who we now are in you. And So, Father, I just pray that you would open up someone's eyes, my own, further to see just how much you love us how much you desire us, and it speaks nothing about us, but all about you. Father, if there's anyone here in this morning or listening by podcast who does not yet trust in Jesus, that I pray today they begin trusting in him, that they receive this love, like Drake, you love me? To now, you love me. You love me, and oh, how you love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to leave you with this. Just before Jesus started praying in John 17, he said this in John 16. He says, behold, the hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me, look at this, alone. Yet I am not alone because my Father is with me. He is with you to the end of the age. With Christ in me, with them in me, (laughs) and me and them, we're not lonely. Love you guys. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.